So hopefully everybody should have an outline. Uh, if you don't, you might want to wave your hand, ushers, if you could. I think everybody pretty much got one coming in. It should say, living without an orphan spirit. So what I mean by that is uh, living without a spirit that feels like something's missing or that there's not enough. You could be an orphan and live without an orphan spirit, but sometimes I'll call it an orphan spirit. It's the opposite of being thriving, feeling like you belong, feeling like you're in, right? Family and provision as well, right? And so I'm using that term a little bit loosely because uh, I bet you there's probably seven or eight people here that maybe were raised as orphans or maybe in a situation where they didn't have mom and dad around. But the thing of it is, sometimes when that happens... Even in the natural, um, there's a sense of loss, a sense of I miss something, right? Maybe you were raised without a dad or a mom and everything. But the Lord more than takes care of it. But the important thing is that you can do the same thing with God. You can have God as your Father, right? And all the miracles and all the things that He promises and still live like an orphan, like God isn't your dad. If you stop and think about it, if God really is your dad, right? Think of that, the fa- our Father who art in heaven and Jesus made it possible for us to connect with God. It's amazing how uh, I, I watch myself degenerate into an orphan spirit. Like I'll get discouraged about something, and it's like all of a sudden there's no God. You know, He can't take care of this. You know, I feel lonely or broken or whatever. You know, and uh, I hate that feeling. But sometimes I feel like that. I just uh, I just sort of slip into it, right? So I try to catch myself before I go to go too far. You know. But it's really easy to do. You feel sorry for yourself a little bit, or maybe a big disappointment comes and you'd been hoping and hoping and hoping, and then it just is crushed, you know, or uh, maybe it was a long time, a vision you'd had a long time ago. Maybe there was a divorce or something severe happened to you, and you lost your confidence. You wondered if you'd ever be married again, or wondered what happened, or you just walk around, and you kind of get an idea. You, you have this hole inside of you. And the main problem with it is you don't feel like you're in touch with God. Maybe you lose touch with if there is a God. You know, you wonder if where God went. Uh, that's a nice way of saying you don't know if God's still there. <laughs> Where'd he go? What happened? And so we're all tempted to live like God's not real. And, you know, the problem is when we feel like that, here's the other side of it. Uh, God came in the flesh. God revealed himself in this huge book through centuries and centuries, and he came in the flesh, Jesus, to demonstrate who he was, and he allowed himself to be crucified. Then he proved he was God by resurrecting from the dead. And then we have all of us here, and you look at church history and all the church and the family of God and around the world and everything. But somehow or another, it's still amazing how we get into this orphan place where we feel like we're alone, that God's a million miles away, And often it's predicated by some kind of tragedy or some kind of severe event or some problem that doesn't seem to go away. It's amazing how one little problem can drain your bowl. You notice that? One thing. You might have 55 things going good, and there's this one thing that's of interest and concern to you. It might be a lost son, lost daughter. It might be an issue with regard to your finances or a job is missing now or whatever. And it's as if you never worship God at all. You know, It's as if he's he's a million miles away. How can that be? You can even have that happen when you like walk with God for years and years, 20 years, 30 years. You know, going to church, praying, reading your Bible, 
And then all of a sudden you feel totally empty like there's nobody there. You know, like somebody turned the lights out. And you know you shouldn't be struggling that way. You shouldn't be feeling that way. But sometimes I think we have to actually say, now, wait a minute. I'm not going there anymore. You know, you got to stop. And this this sermon is about saying no to that and yes to a heavenly father who actually loved you enough that he gave his only son up to die a hideous death, be crucified, and then proved he was God by rising from the dead and saying, look, I'm going to do the same with you. You can get saved in a right relationship with me through this son. And guess what? You're going to live forever and ever and ever. And by the way, along the way, I have all kinds of provision for you financially, physically, emotionally, right? So we don't want to live with an orphan spirit like, you know, it was fine three weeks ago. It was fine three years ago. But what have you done for me lately, God? We want a flourishing culture in our spirit and in the church of love, belonging, and miracles. And that's easy to say out of our mouth, but sometimes in our experience, it's amazing how low we can go. And of the weirdest times that it happens is often at Christmas, right? Where we just really go down the tubes for a while, you know? Matter of fact, some of us even, um, and I'm not blaming you for this, it's just I've been through this too. I, I just, you know, sometimes we just dread the holidays because it reminds me of all kinds of things that went wrong relationally or maybe what we don't have that we were hoping to have by this time or Whatever. Am I talking to anybody or are you acting like you don't know who I'm talking about? <laughs> maybe I'm talking to the wrong audience, but just in case, well, maybe there's just a couple of people that hear this, right? So we don't want to live like that, especially in light of God's amazing grace. So I'm just going to read through that a little bit, pray through that a little bit, talk about it a little bit. Just remind ourselves of God's amazing grace and maybe some new grace that you didn't know were available from the Lord. And that's one thing I love about our church. We're always learning and teaching and training and uh, trying to help people become aware of what's, uh, what's available to them supernaturally. We have the hard time with the supernatural part because our nation is largely, and most Western nations have sort of a secular worldview. So when we think of supernatural things, we're thinking of the bogeyman or something evil. <laughs> you know, we got more theology for evil than we do for good, right? <laughs> and it's just, uh, you know... And I don't know why we get that way, but I think it's probably related again to an orphan spirit. We don't have uh, a, a, a theology of a good God, of a loving God, of a kind God. And I would just say, okay, I believe in a good God. Great. But our problem with it is not that we believe in a good God, it's that we don't really believe at a deep down level in a good God, especially when we're having a little bit of trouble. Maybe we should say beyond good an incredibly compassionate God who cares about every part of your life. Well, yeah, he cares about my spirit, and I got that, and I'm going to heaven, or do a little worship. But no, I mean everything, everything. When I see new babies born into the world, it's quite amazing. I love babies, you know, but I love watching first-time mothers. I mean, everything about that kid, you know, is just like in order, right? I mean, just, or let's just say it this way. If anything goes wrong, you know, anything's bad, not you know, not covered just perfectly or whatever, you know. It's, it's, they're very sensitive to this child, right, emotionally, and, and, and want to just do the right thing, and especially when the kids are young, you know. But that's the way God is with us all the time from the day we're born to the t- day we die. Now, I don't mean to co- portray guys as a doting father. No, he's a father that handles us through the stages of our life. But ultimately, he's a very, very good dad. And 
His interest is working to get things together for your good. It's only for the good. Life throws some really hard things at us. But that didn't mean that God went bad, right? God's good all the time. You can call him any time. And all the process that he goes through with us is to grow us up and to actually rank us really, really fathers and mothers to other people. We're going to see that as we go through some of these scriptures. What Jesus was after uh, in recruiting those disciples is for them to be like him, which is a tall order, right? Especially having him in the flesh there. But they began to fulfill that, and they got the hang of it as they began to move on with their walk with the Lord, even without Jesus. Let's look at uh, John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? So Jesus is telling him, you know, I'm I'm going ahead of you. I'm about to leave, and they're freaking out a little bit, right? That orphan spirit was big already. You know, what? You're not going, what are you doing? What? I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Let's reveal the big guy, you know. (laughs) Remember? On the mount, you know, and they're on the mountain there with uh, uh, Peter and and uh, the, you know the, the, the boys, and there they are, and and they see Jesus transfigured, right? What an amazing thing! <laughs> hey, let's make a we can make a shelter here, you know. <laughs> this is my beloved son. Hear him, right? Wow, what an experience that must have been. Philip said, "Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us." You know, we've heard about you, and we know you, and we see all these things, but man, if you show us the the big guy, the one, the the Father which, of course, Jewish culture, the Father. You know, we know about you, and you're in the flesh, but show us the Father, that, and then we'll finally be okay. Really? <laughs> Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? So this is true for us. You walk with the Lord for a while, and then sometimes you get hit with something, and you begin this fatherless, orphan-like thing, and it's as if God never was in your life at all. You know, something sometimes life hits you so, hits you so off balance that you, you it's like you didn't, you never don't have a bit of, of faith in your body. You can't remember anything that He did for you, right? That's a very dangerous place, and a, I would add a dumb place to go. So I go there from time to time. I sometimes I get ambushed, you know, and I just surprise myself by how bad I feel and how far away from God I feel, you know. And uh, even at this point, you would think that I would never really have that problem, but sometimes I just get hit the wrong way, and pretty soon there's no God, no life, no anything, you know, and I'm ready to you know crawl up in the corner and, you know, <laughs> I don't, fortunately I don't stay there too long, but uh, but all of us have those experiences, right? And we get that orphan thing come on us, and suddenly Jesus is a million miles away. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Right? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Boy, the Father living in us also doing his work. The Holy Spirit doing his work. This is something so important for us. Because what we need to learn to be is expectant. When we don't live with an orphan spirit, we're expecting God to be all over the place. That's why he calls us the body of Christ. Okay, I know we're the body of Christ, but Jesus, can we see you every once in a while? I need an angel. <laughs> I'm tired of these ordinary people, right? But he gave us the name, body of Christ. And the implication there is he's in our midst. 
The implication is that, here, I'll put it this way. Thousands of people need to be fed. Jesus looks at them and said, you give them something to eat. <laughs> what a great story. Well, we only got a few fish and there's a few loaves. You give them something to eat. So off they go. And pretty soon they find this bread multiplying in their hands. And before you know it, they felt like super people, right? And then a few days later, they, they're about to get in a boat. And uh, Jesus says something that hits them wrong. And they're wondering, oh, he's worried that we didn't, don't, don't have enough bread. Why did you guys not buy bread? You know, they're all arguing about the whole thing. And he said, you guys are still worried about bread. You, all, you saw me multiply all that. And you're afraid that I'm talking to you right now about food. <laughs> we all go there. That orphan thing's right there around every corner to get us. You know that? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Suddenly we become little Jesus. Now I don't mean to say that sacrilegiously, but the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us. But if you understand the Holy Spirit, they're all God. <laughs> so I have God inside of me. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And listen to this. And they will do even greater things than these. Whoa, just think about that one for a moment. Then that sort of puts everybody in the body of Christ in a whole new place, doesn't it? We're going to be doing bigger works, better works, greater works than these. And they're all, heaven's expecting that of you. Because I'm leaving. <laughs> Which they didn't like at all. And I will do whatever you ask. Oh, man, let's, let's go back to that whatever before I go on anymore. And I will do whatever. What's in the whatever? Very good question. Whatever you ask in my name. So guess why? Because the Father gets glorified in the Son. So when you don't act like an orphan, when you act like you are, are somebody in God, when you begin to ask Him and pray and it happens, God gets glorified. He likes the whole thing. Now, we don't have to look any more than the average ball field around Laguna Niguel to see this played out every single day, especially on the weekend. Those little kids are out there, and their dads and their moms are out there. And I tell you, sometimes games get out of hand a little bit, and those parents go, 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 go maniac. They go crazy. Because when Junior does good, there's some sort of thing they, they get, right? They get a buzz out of it, right? Well, that's what the father's saying here. Because the father may be glorified in the son. That's my boy. That's my girl. <laughs> right? We all know that. Especially here. One of the most competitive environments, one of the crazy parent environments you'll ever see is on an average day where they're playing soccer. Mile upon mile. Game upon game. <laughs> soccer over here. And football over here. And basketball. Whatever you name it. Every kind of sport. Every kind of activity. Everything that you can imagine. Right? That's, I will do whatever you ask of me, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when you ask for things and you receive them, and you begin to move in the things of the kingdom, guess what? The Father is glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That doesn't sound like an orphan spirit to me. But just say it again. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So one of the great, or the, one of the great uh, adventures of our life is to walk that out, right? So when you look through the scriptures and uh, 
you see the aftermath of Jesus. I like Acts 4, 13 to 16. The religious leaders of Jesus' day recognized Peter and John as men who had been with Jesus. Now, how do they know that? Because Jesus had been crucified, resurrected from the dead, but they weren't acting normally like someone that would act with Jesus gone. When they saw the courage, and that's an interesting thing right there. So the opposite of an orphan spirit is courage. Courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think we have a hard time with this uh, a little bit, having been basically fairly monocultural. But if you cross over overseas and you, you go to a place where where uh, the education level is low and where there's a lot of poverty and um, miles upon miles of people, uh, it's, there's a distinct class consciousness. And uh, because education makes a big difference in those places and the difference between the poor and the rich is very deep and most people are very poor and there's very few rich people. So this sort of this environment too. Ordinary people were way different than educated, especially religious leaders who spent a great deal of time educated. But the average person, you know, fisher people, tradesmen and all that, they weren't like us. We, they, there wasn't really as much of a middle class as we have here. So at least there's a little bit of a middle class here. But in that environment, very little, right? So, and it's still today in many countries, same same way. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus because they realized, they where are they getting this stuff? Where are they getting this boldness? Where are they getting these communicative skills, you know? Where are they getting this following? Well, they've just been hanging around Jesus. That's the same place that we get this bold, encouraging ministry spirit. We don't live like orphans or feel sorry for ourselves because we've been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say, right? Because they were doing the works of Jesus. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. And that was one great thing about Jewish culture is they were always looking for signs. Right? And these were signs right in their face. They just didn't know what to do with these ordinary guys. They need to be somebody special, a special priestly cat class. Or saying, a lot of people feel that way about the Lord. There's only special people do this. Maybe even little weird people do this, especially deliverance or weird that stuff like that, you know. Ah, but all of this is for all of us, even down to this age, which is amazing. And the next big hurdle everybody had to face was, oh my gosh, even the Gentiles get to do this. So the poverty spirit, the orphan spirit came off of them. These guys aren't just anybody. Everybody's somebody, as long as they know Jesus. That was a big thing to break through. This was no accident that they saw these guys, these priests, see this. They, they recognized them as been, been with Jesus because Jesus trained them to be bold, just as he trains us to be bold. See, when you got into Jesus' training, when you began to walk with God, I don't know if you realize it or not, but a huge part of your curriculum is to be bold. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. There's a man from birth begging there. there he's at the gate called Beautiful. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter looked straight at him as he did John. Then Peter said, look at this, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, you know, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. 
Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Then all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That's us. That's our job description. That's what you do when you don't live with an orphan spirit. You live with this commission on you. The same commission to the disciples was meant to be carried down to this day. And by the way, it's been carried down spectacularly to this day. It's amazing how many signs, wonders, and miracles are being loosed on the earth right now in countries far away from us and countries close up. One of our greatest privileges in the world is to go to these distant places and see so many things because God like works overtime to use ordinary people to raise the dead and cast out demons. And these pers- people that are working in those populations, the hunger is so great they realize they get rid of their uh, orphan spirit really, really fast. Right? This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, you know what? Go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. And this is what we do. This is what we're declared to do. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what living without an orphan spirit looks like. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Hey, Jesus is alive. He's near. He's right here in this place right now. So you do that wherever you go, in your jobs, in your work, wherever Jesus' voice is heard small, wherever Jesus doesn't live, especially in you that have jobs that are what you might describe as a little bit secular. Right? That's why I love praying with business people, because they live in this uh, total environment of pagans with pagan practices and people that you know, uh, will cut your throat and, and uh, for just the least little bit of gain and don't mind throwing you under the bus and the whole thing, right? So as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near, and this is our job description. It was their job description. Wow, can you imagine? Here, here's your job description. Heal the sick, raise, raise the dead. Whoa, man. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Oh, uh, freely you have received, freely give. They got the same thing we got, the Holy Spirit of God and the commission of God, the permission to do this, these sort of things. We, we don't have to do these miracles. We get to do them. This is part of our privilege. And the only thing that's missing sometimes is our faith. When we start living like an orphan, we think we don't have anything to offer. It's precisely at the point where you feel absolutely zero faith, absolutely zero qualifications, that you're the most qualified. You just step into it anyway, right? Disciples felt that often. And boy, one of the greatest things with regard to ministry to explain people, like people want to go in the ministry, you know, and they think of it more like a paid thing or whatever. But any kind of ministry, one of the most shocking things for those that actually do go you know, and are paid to do things, right? It's, it's just shocking how much they feel overwhelmed and undertrained and unable and inadequate to meet the needs around them, right? But this is part of the deal. You just do it anyway. You just take that orphan spirit and you flush it down the toilet and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think the flushing thing down the toilet is scriptural, but the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's okay. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Yet, eventually that was a shocker. They were training. So he's training them amongst the Jews. But eventually came the time when they had to go to the the, uh, Gentiles. That was a really shocking thing. The apostle Paul was maybe the most shocking of all. He not only was a renegade turned back to God, to Jesus, but he told them, hey, look, guys, 
we're all going to the Gentiles. We're all going to the Gentiles, right? Again, how do we do that? How can we imagine? How can I, I can't imagine Romans and Greeks? How are they going to get saved? Well, you can't have an orphan spirit. Believe that. And then they remembered in their playbook a little bit how Jesus would hang out with the Samaritans and did miracles for all kinds of people. And they go, oh, okay. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this is our instructions too, guys. These are our instructions carried down to us. They were the prototype. They were the original trainees. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take any gold or silver or copper to get take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Can it be any more dramatic than that? Go, go, go. I mean, wow. And then we find out how much we feel like we're lacking, how much empty we feel, how unqualified when we get in situations like that. One thing that we're trying to do with our church is make everybody feel like they're absolutely qualified in any environment to be a representative of Jesus Christ. Bring the kingdom of God, bring a prophetic word, pray for the sick, raise the dead, whatever is necessary to step into that place. And could I say, if you run into a person that's in need, one thing I've learned, especially if they're in need of some kind and they don't know the Lord or whatever, they're especially ripe for some miracle to happen. So they're your, that's who you should step into. We, John Wimber called the word, called the, coined the power evangelism. But what that's about is weak people, people all around us and being willing to pray for them and give them a word or encouragement or be Jesus in their midst, right? That's called living without an orphan spirit. Jesus baptizes us with the spirit. This is on A2, just as he did his first disciples. So he said to wait a little bit because I'm not sending you out like uh, without anything. I'm sending you out with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why we emphasize that so much. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit fell on those early disciples, it became a normal part of the way they began to operate, that they were supposed to make sure that the Spirit fell on other people. So as a church, we make sure we take great pains. That's why I teach this class three times a year, to make sure that you're not living in our church as an orphan, that you know that you can hear God's voice, you can pray for the sick, you can raise the dead, you can cast out demons, right? So we see this amazing... uh, a training that they were they were beginning to be given by uh, in the context of their walk with Jesus, but like Peter, repeated encounters with the Holy Spirit releases to do what Jesus would do. And so let's just look at Acts uh, chapter four for a moment, and uh, I want to look at Acts chapter four, and I want to read these uh, read uh, verses eight to thirteen for a moment, just to get back there. Then Spirit filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So, they began to pick it up. After Pentecost, they began to get the hang of this thing, right? <clears throat> no more no more, no more, more orphans. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these guys had been with Jesus. I just want to make sure I, I said that all oh, these people have been with Jesus. When we come and we worship and we pray and receive the Holy Spirit and love the environment, it's not just 
for the environment that's in here, it's in out there, right? It's for that environment. We can experience this. When they released Peter and John from jail, the believers uh, asked for boldness at this prayer meeting. So they all go, and uh, Peter's released from jail after this initial incursion. But they go to this meeting. You notice it in uh, Acts chapter 4. I won't read it right now, but in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, is interesting because God brought the Holy Spirit to them. They asked for boldness, and the Lord filled them with boldness. And from that moment forward, they realized that boldness, living without an orphan spirit, was part of the equation. So if you look at B, living, an orphan spirit is living as if there's never enough. Jesus taught us to live out of an abundance. And here's an interesting way to do it. Give and what? It shall be given to you. So whenever we give out and take risk and take steps out to give to another person in any way, guess what happens? Give and it shall be given to you. And it's interesting, the equation is, don't judge and you'll not be judged, not condemned, you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven no matter what. Give and it'll be given to you. And then what he says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Oh, could I just say that again? So we're talking about living without an uh, uh, orphan spirit. But part of it is, we give God something to work with. We don't judge. We don't condemn. We forgive, which all are forms of giving, right? And then we give financially, prayer-wise, time-wise. But every time we give out of ourselves and have mercy on someone else or give from our own context, whatever we do that, it's going to be given. So you can always realize that when you take an extra time with someone or you sow time, one thing that I think it doesn't happen in the equation very much is we don't expect anything back. We should. That'll help motivate us a little bit, right? Now, you don't just give to, to get back, but that's part of the equation. So give, and what happens? Get out there and start giving things away, acting like Jesus, being nice to other people. Now, can I just really reduce this down? Because when we're talking about Jesus, the apostles, and healing the sick, and all, but just the simplest thing. This equation is the most powerful equation of most of our lives. This always happens. This scripture always comes to pass, and it happens in a dozen different forms. So part of living without an orphan spirit is to be a giver. Give, and why? It'll be given to you. And then if it's going to be given to you, what happens when you give? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Could I just say that again? I mean, there's a lot of people in here that really like to prosper in all kinds of ways. You want to be healthy? You want your children to do well? You want enough money? Well... Here it is. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So you can't be generous enough. Matter of fact, it's actually hard to be too generous. The most generous person in the universe gave his only son. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But this one that's so generous he gave his only son came that we might have life, John 10.10, and have it abundantly. How much money does it take to heal a lame man, right? Not much. It can takes faith, that currency. That's still powerful giving because you're wondering whether it's going to work or not, right? You're more worried about the way you look than the worry about whether this person didn't get healed sometimes. And sometimes we're worried that, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make them more depressed. I'll tell you, one thing I've experienced, I always thought that a lot, you know, well, I wonder if I pray for them and they don't get well. But you know what? 
if that person, if they're sick, they're, they're, you, know, you know what it's like to be sick. So when you're on zero already, when you don't have any hope, anybody that does anything positive to you, I'm, I assure you, is received in hope. We're always afraid that we're going to, it won't work, and that person will think worse of us, or, you know, whatever, or we're going to make them feel worse. You know, when you're sick, think about it. You're just looking for anything, especially if the doctor hasn't worked, nothing's worked, right? So it's this poverty spirit that keeps us from doing that. We're worried about not only our poverty, that isn't going to work and we're going to look silly, but also the other person. But it doesn't take any money. It just takes faith, and it's invisible currency. And he's, Peter says in this lame guy, he's been begging at the temple. This is uh, uh, Acts 3.6. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Man, think about that. I don't have silver and gold sometimes to help. You know, I want to solve all the world's problems. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Wow. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, I love Luke chapter 9 so much. And this is the first time that Jesus multiplied food. But it's very uh, instructive and important. And I have he saw... The, the the that whole movie what's that thing going on the movie stuff that's going on with the what's that the film the recent Jesus film coming about I saw Jesus on giving an advertisement the other day you know what I'm talking about what's that called chosen. the chosen right yeah the chosen guy he was actually giving an advertisement or something the other day there's Jesus <laughs> anyway <laughs> it was a nice advertisement it seems godly enough. <laughs> And sometimes it's hard to separate. You look at this guy, and you're looking at him, and you're thinking, that's, you know, it's hard to switch gears. He's just an ordinary actor, and he's getting an advertisement here, right? But anyway, look at Luke 9, 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. He replied, you give them something to eat. What? We've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. And I love that. So I'm talking about The Chosen. If you see that last, uh, I think it was the last uh, uh, thing, uh, last show in uh, season three. So he gives the disciples the food to give to the others. It's so cool, well done to see that. Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the disciples. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I think it's significant, that verse 17. Not only did Jesus supply the need, but he went overboard, right? 12 basketfuls left over. I think God's that abundant, abounding God. That's who we worship. He tries to prove it every which way, but he tests you sometimes. But it's significant. Not only did he feed all these people, but there was stuff left over, right? I am the leftover, abundant, flowing over God, right? The world will be changed by people who freely give out of a constant supply of God's love, even when they suffer. We are heirs of a supernatural Father. And this is an amazing thing. And uh, I'm just so grateful that um, this is one part of my walk with the Lord that I picked up. So it's not only outward things God gives us, but an inward life that God gives us, an overwhelming liver, uh, inner life where we're fully embraced by the Father. So that nasty orphan spirit that always tells us we're not going to measure up, always tells us that nobody loves us, 
always tells us that uh, we don't measure up. I tell you, God has an amazing way of giving for that too. So Romans 8, chapter 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So it's the Spirit that deals with that orphan place inside of us. He's the one that settles the matter because we feel the love of God. Now, for years and years, I didn't even know such a thing was possible. One of my favorite parts of the class that I teach in Life in the Spirit is just introducing people to a very simple concept that they knew, even like a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But for most people, and many, many people, that's about as far as it goes because they spend a whole lifetime feeling unloved, kind of at a distance from God. And the way that can be corrected is simply by believing that there's another kind of experience with God and actually imparting that to one another. So week in and week out, we, we do that here. And also in my class, I try to explain to people that they're loved and beloved, but not only that they're loved in theory, but that God gives an impartation of love. So you don't have to live with that nagging orphan spirit that you're not good enough or that God's not going to come through for you. It's something when God begins to heal that part in you because when you begin to be healed, when God begins to tell you he loves you and you begin to experience that, and first of all, one of the biggest ways you can know that is somebody just to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now. There's an experience in God where God will adopt you, speak to your heart, and fill that void on the inside that feels unloved. So here it is. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you brought you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And sometimes we have to bring that out a little bit. Like, for example, many of you are aware of speaking in tongues. So I, as a Presbyterian kid, I didn't know anybody could speak in tongues. I didn't even know what speaking in tongues was. But when I first heard the concept and that, that where other miracles could happen and healing and everything, I thought, cool, I'm in. So I jumped in, you know, before I knew it, I was speaking in tongues. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And then I ended up finding out that there's this love of the Father. Hey, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption, sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And at the time when I actually heard that, especially over at Eddie's house and another teachings he gave, I didn't know that there, I see it in the Bible, but I don't know that I'd ever had an Abba, Father experience. You know what I mean? But when I had an Abba, Father experience, it was amazing because it secured me in so many different ways. And I read it in Scripture because the Spirit's doing his job is to testify with our spirit that we're God's kids. I just didn't know that he did it from the inside out. It's one thing for me to preach a message about that, but it's another thing for me to pray for you to receive the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Father's love. We cry, Abba, Father. That's an animal screech. We scream, Abba, Father. Evidently, that's supposed to be part of the equation of an early believer. And us, is, and this time, there's nothing that fills us up and leaves us uh, fatherly and motherly and maybe generous than feeling the love of God come on us, right? And we desperately need that ministry all the time. That's why we go out of our way to teach about this, and many of you know. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We're heirs of God. Everything that God has with us, money, whatever it is that you need, but especially the internal part. There's nothing that can defeat a person that really knows God as their daddy. And that's what the Holy Spirit offers us. 
The world will be changed by people who freely give out of a constant supply of God's love, even when they suffer. We are heirs of a supernatural dad. And through the ministry of the Spirit, there is an adoption to sonship that the Holy Spirit brings. So these things, maybe you're not used to our kind of church, you know. I mean, many of us know these things because we're familiar with the Holy Spirit, meaning we believe in this baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in healing. We believe in all these spiritual gifts. So maybe some of you came out of a Pentecostal background, you believe that. But the next dimension that I didn't know, which I'm so grateful for when I arrived on the shores of the vineyard and began to experience this sense of abundance in the air, this sense of love and sense of compassion and a sense of joy, you know, and then uh, ended at Eddie's church, Eddie Pjork's church with the Michio Vineyard and, and, and got this impartation, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and it's carried me. There is an impartation of this love that's so powerful, and then it, it, it makes your whole life turn when you know that you're absolutely accepted and loved by God, not just once in a while, but every day, and that that uh, awareness is accessible to you. And then you can just worship and receive that and receive the Father over and over again. And when you do that, you walk out and you're walking 10 foot tall and so long and you're not afraid of anything anymore. You're not afraid of anything anymore. Your endurance capacity goes up. Your capacity to believe for miracles goes up. And that woundedness that you experience and that divorce or that horrible thing in the Spirit, that God heals those things. So I want to tell you, this church is packing. <laughs> we got lots of ammunition. One of our biggest ammunitions is to deal with that orphan spirit, to pray for you, to receive the love of God. It's as simple as that. Matter of fact, maybe we should do that, just pray for people to receive the love of the Father today, just an impartation of that. An orphan spirit disconnects us from the supernatural body of Christ. This is Roman numeral two. You don't walk alone if you have a father in God. You also have brothers and sisters who can be empowered by God. Other believers define us, they refine us, and they speak God's love over us. Part of our job as believers is to keep everybody in the love of God, to keep speaking God's love over each other. It's really, really important. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to, to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Isn't that interesting? How we become mature as body of Christ, as churches, as families. I'm talking about individual families and as a church family. This is it. We speak the truth in love. Well, how do you speak the truth in love if you don't have love first, right? To speak the truth in love, believe me, there's a lot of people that speak the truth around there, like quite proudly, and not in love, right? <laughs> kind of proud them, pride themselves with a prophetic gift, you know. I'm just speaking the truth, brother. I'm just speaking, the, you know. There's a difference between speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. There's something about that. There's an ability to impart, to renew. Even with your children, it's the same. Sometimes we get in these legalistic relationships with our kids, you know, and we don't do the groundwork of loving and compassion and softness and heart. And, and then we have something hard to say. They, they can't hear it because they never heard of the truth in love. They never were loved, right? So the most wonderful thing we can do is lots of love peppered with the discipline that's necessary, right? Otherwise, we, we, we make them into orphans. They grow up and, and they, they're hard and unyielding. And you know what? This can happen right in church. Sometimes it happens mostly in church. All the kids know is this sort of rules and that this is a place of restriction, you know. But their deepest need is compassion. And to feel that compassion, the Father's love, is absolutely available. Absolutely available. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow 
We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So with all of our gifts and abilities, when we do it in love and release it in love, the body actually becomes the body of Christ, equipped in every possible way. The orphan spirit leaves. We feel this, the fullness of God. We're not jealous over another person's gift because we have plenty ourselves, right? So then what happens is we become to live together as the dwelling place of God. Consequently, this is Ephesians 2, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So individually, you're a dwelling in which God lives by spirit, but together we are a body that lives by God's spirit. And when that body, individually, my, my, my person and corporately that body is filled with the love of God, you get heaven on earth. Everybody begins to release their gifts. The competition that's so rampant sometimes amongst us disappears, and there's an abundance everywhere. That's called heaven on earth, in our families, in the church family, and in the world. Living together is the dwelling place. When we say the dwelling place of God, uh, which is that verse 22, the we become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. It suggests ownership in the manifest presence of God. The first experiences of the early church tell us tell us it all, right? In Acts chapter 2, we see what happened to them. The Spirit falls on them, you know, and we look at Acts chapter 4, and uh, I want to read uh, 20... Acts, oh, just let me read some of these verses as the Spirit began to come. Uh, let's, let's, read, let's start with verse 29. Now, Lord... Consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke boldly, the word of God boldly. So there was a little bit of contention, a little bit of persecution that began, and this is how they responded to it. Lord, stretch out your hand. We're going to keep going healing. We're going to keep on bringing signs and wonders. And the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So God wants to make us this bold group of people, rooted and grounded in the love of God, without an orphan spirit. They began to be attacked. You know, it would be pretty serious to be attacked. Jesus was just crucified. But these guys were so full of the Spirit, they didn't care. They left themselves and trusted themselves in God to move forward. They didn't have that worry. They were small, they were insignificant, but look what happened. Wow. That little group of people. And that spilled out into the Gentile world. And now the body of Christ is worldwide. And maybe even one of the most beautiful things of all for me, thinking about this in the time we live in, is the gospel is being preached at a rate and uh, in a breadth that's beyond comprehension that nobody believed was possible. The early guys in the early church had no idea there'd be this many people on the earth someday. But what's even more dramatic is that these people are all being reached with the gospel at an unparalleled rate, in a rate that nobody would have foreseen. Nobody talks about this, but it's the hidden thing that's going on throughout the whole nations. It's the other holy nation that exists in every nation, and yes, including Palestine and Israel.
God's witnesses are there too. They're all there. Releasing the gospel. In the end, it's an internal thing that solves wars and problems. In the end, something's got to come become whole on the inside. Without an orphan spirit, with an orphan spirit, you see what we get today in the Middle East. Fatherless people feeling disheveled, left out, disconnected, treated unfairly, right? But when the Father comes and fills you from the inside out, you begin to look at, you don't feel like you're a victim. You don't wait for anybody else to make your day, <laughs> to make your career or whatever. You have this access to the vaults of heaven and to the people of God. And we together, we're not living in that orphan spirit, but we have confidence in God together and individually. It's like heaven on earth. When God supernaturally touches us, we begin to spill out into our community. And if I just say this, for all of us here, we are all loaded. <laughs> just have to open your mouth. We all have rivers of life flowing out of us. And if you want to take another step, when you see that person that's hurt on the ball field, or that person you know down the street that's got cancer, that's your, like, invitation. <laughs> you feel so small. What could I do in that area? But you know, a person that's been humbled by poverty, or humbled by cancer, they're very vulnerable and very open. It's shocking when a person's broken or experienced tragedy, how open. We don't want to intervene. We have all these reasons why. That we shouldn't, you know, get involved. You know, maybe we should use wisdom, I know, but oh my gosh, we are the ones that bring life. We're the ones that are carrying the weapons of God and the prayers of God to make something that's so wrong, some right. So we need to cultivate this joyful, powerful kingdom culture. Believing in a supernatural father, and as Paul describes it in Romans 4.17, who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I love Romans 4.17. I'll say it again. He gives life to the dead, and he calls into being things that were not. Now, how does he call into being things that were not? He uses your mouth. <laughs> it's called prayer. It means calling to being things that are not. In nations far away, in countries, in leaders of your country, and right down into your family, your household, your schools, everything, right? So as we move in this kingdom culture, we enter the joy of the Lord, and we release his passion for the world with signs and wonders. And I, I love these passages so much. In Luke chapter 15, we see the disciples, and, and we, we see Jesus teaching them and discipling them and bringing them along. Luke 15, 1-7. Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that's what you call an orphan spirit there. <laughs> right. They're lost. There's no way I'm going to have an effect on them. We are the God's special people. We're the only ones. We have nothing to do with the world around us. We have nothing. It's just the opposite. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We have everything to do with the world, every situation. And I hope that all of you are praying over the situations of our elections and situations overseas. You are a part of that. Your prayers count. What we do counts. Then Jesus told them, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Well, that's the way God wants us, right? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I love that. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found 
my lost sheep. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Kind of helps us understand what the Father's heart is about, isn't it? It's really incredible, this amazing, powerful kingdom culture. It goes in those low places, goes in those spaces where we think nobody cares. Matter of fact, that's one of my biggest joys with the warehouse and all that we're doing there. It goes to the place where nobody cares, except the Father really cares. He came to seek and save that which is lost. So people that live without an orphan spirit are not afraid to jump in to these very tricky, difficult situations where there seems like there's so much loss and so much not going on that they could never be repaired. But that's exactly where the Lord wants to go. He's more than enough. I tell you, today I have to keep reminding myself not to let myself fall into that poverty spirit. Everybody can be redeemed. And I tell you, as we've been doing this year after year, and uh, I don't know, I think we have 40 or 50 people we're housing right now, but as we encounter them, it's amazing. It's always the same challenge because sometimes their story is so horrible and their background is so horrible, you just think, what in the world do I have doing dealing with this? That's an orphan spirit. I have everything do with that. Jesus came to what? Save the sick, the broken, the lost. That's our primary place. But if you don't have a filling from the Lord, if you don't know who you are, it's very difficult to be nice to anybody else or worth it anything to anybody else. You're too busy worrying about yourself and worrying that you're not going to have enough, right? There's always enough. Enough to spill over. Give and what? It shall be given to you. Good measure. Press down shaking together, running over. That's why Matthew 10, 7, 8 says, you know what, look, the kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. Now, we read that. Maybe you've been around the Pentecostal church a little bit, and you read it and go, well, yeah, that's us. You know, but think about this, hearing their ears, right? First of all, the Samaritan thing was more than they could handle. <laughs> this thing was going to go out to the Samaritans. Now it's going to go out to the Gentiles. That was even a bigger shock. It's out to the Gentiles. But then here's this shock. Heal the sick, raise the dead. What? Uh, what, what did he say? John, what did he say? He, he said raise the dead. What? Cleanse the, those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. Now, I'll tell you what. I'm a uh, charismatic, Pentecostal person, you know, for years and years now. But still, when it comes to some of these situations, man, I feel like I have zero in the tank. I have a lot of situations like that. So I've just learned to not pay attention to the zero in my tank. Don't look at E. I don't look at E. I just keep on driving. Sometimes that's the only way to get over an orphan spirit. Because sometimes people will say something to me, and I'm thinking to myself, I think I'm the most unqualified person on the planet to say one word about what you have going on there. You know, and then I'll hear the Lord tap me. No, no, you got me. You got the resource in there. I'll give you the wisdom. You just minister to him anyway. And I'm thinking, well, why do they come to me? I can think of 50 other people that are more qualified. No, they want you. Okay, fine. So I have to get that orphan spirit, flush down the toilet, and get on my Jesus heart and move ahead, right? And this is part of the whole thing. It's this shocking part of this whole thing that we have to do in God is how qualified God thinks we are. <laughs> I mean, and has disciples. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees, the, the knees that give way. This is Isaiah 35, 36. Say to those fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. 
Sometimes I say, be strong and do not fear to people, and I'm terrified myself. That's okay. That still means that's what you do. You, you just, by faith, have something in the tank for someone, even when you feel like it's missing. It's so amazing to me. I could be absolutely terrified and give encouragement and strength to somebody who's afraid. <laughs> I don't tell them I'm terrified, you know. <laughs> or I think, about, they'll share something with me, I think, that's about the worst story I've ever heard in my life. Oh my God, what am I doing here? I feel terrible. How, I'm thinking to myself, how are they ever going to get out of this? And I go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. My tank's full. I ain't going to be no orphan. Strengthen, I'm going to strengthen those feeble hands. I'm going to steady the knees that are giving way. Steady mine first, and then I'm going to steady yours. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Even though it's the worst story you've ever heard. Sometimes I have a story, I'll go, that's the worst story I've ever heard in my life. That's horrible. You don't have to get over that real fast, because i got, I got, I got to get, deliver to them Jesus, right? Because I don't have an orphan spirit, I have Jesus. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he'll come to you. Then listen to that. When we get that spirit, now look what it says here. I like the word then here. Look at this carefully. So he says, God's coming, but he says, when we have this attitude, when we say, say to fearful hearts, don't, don't fear, be strong. We declare that God's bringing retribution, he's bringing, he's going to overcome this situation. Then look what it says, verse 5. Then, when you do that, will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. It doesn't mean when you're, you're perfect. It means when you're empty, but you give anyway out of the resources of God because he doesn't have anything orphaned about him. He is the Father, right? Then it says, verse 6, Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So our goal is to get over that orphan thing, that thing that we think we don't have anything to offer. We are carrying because we carry the Spirit. Freely you have received, freely give. It's in there whenever the enemy makes you feel so empty, so unqualified. It's precisely the time when you go right past that and say, wait a minute, I'm not an orphan. I have the Spirit of God on the inside of me. I don't, I can't, I don't know exactly the answer, but I got prayer on my lips and I got encouragement on my tongue. And I know that God cares for this person. I can help them. Identify hopeless. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm, I'm talking to me. Because <laughs> I'm in this place all the time. I'm just learning. I'm doing better, though. But I just when I think I've heard it all, and somebody comes and tells me something, and I think to myself, that's about the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I have no idea. I'm thinking this to myself. I have no idea. how. I don't even know what to say to you. I'm thinking this to myself. <laughs> and then I just go, well, let's pray. And then I start praying, and then God starts giving me something. And then I just... And it comes out on the way, you know. Sometimes it doesn't even, I don't have it all premeditated. Matter of fact, people sometimes think that a so-called counselor, you know, the best counselors around don't have it all figured out. They're not the answer person. They're just trying to deal in the presence of God with you and use the resource of heaven and release that to you. That's really encouraging. Because if you think, and people go, oh my gosh, they spend so much money on education to get all filled and all knowledgeable and, you know, and so they don't have to live with that like fear that they're not equipped or what. And then they think if they have a degree in their name, then they're somehow equipped. When sometimes they're the stupidest people you ever want to see. They've been trained as an expert and they know nothing. But they got the degrees that makes them feel like they don't have an orphan spirit. Only the Spirit of God can make you not have an orphan spirit. And only the Spirit can help you. So that's why we practice things like prayer, 
Worship and gratefulness, thankfulness. I'll tell you, that fills your tank more than anything. Living off of the Word of God and its promises is so incredibly important. And the last thing on there, which is really, really important, is embracing the entire church, the body of Christ. It will cause your destiny to, to flourish. It's just so that, you know, you know, I, I, I just need to say to you, just after all these experiences that I've had and all this time, I've found, you know what? If I didn't know Jesus and I needed something uh, like practical or whatever, the first place I'd go to is the church. <laughs> because when you hang out in church with people in church and you commit yourself, guess what happens? You begin to be a part of the whole thing and people hear about you and they help you and you begin to give and it gets back and you begin to be a part of a giving network and a part of a receiving network and a part of a, you become a giver and when you give, it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down and you lose the spirit of the orphan the moment you join a church and begin to be an active part. Get trained, hang out, go to everything, go to the guest speakers, whatever. There's always something somewhere in the body of Christ because we are supernatural. We're not just a church. We're not just a building. Sometimes I drive by churches and I think, I wonder what's going on inside there. I see the building, but I wonder what kind of life is in there, you know. And for us, I just want our, we, there's flourishing, there's things all over. And I, I love it that people try to promise. I love that people trying to pray for the sick and step out there and take a homeless person off uh, off the street and put them in their house. And all of that is so amazing. And you know, it's not because we feel so strong or arrogant. It's just because we feel we do it out of our need. When we do it out of our need, the heavens open up for us. Oh, man. So we see this verse here. And I'll finish here. So Christ himself gave the, the, the apostles... The, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That's uh, after you watch the news, read that passage. I'm not going to let this... Oh, the world's falling apart. No, I'm not tossed back and forth. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Just, we keep each other centered. Focus. Where we need to focus. Instead, speaking the truth... And by the way, the news. Well, the problem with the news is it's built out of an orphan spirit. It's purposely designed to get the most spectacular negative reaction out of you. So you'll come back and... The one thing they don't want to be is boring. So they'll go out of their way to be bo not boring. May say the very worst thing possible, to scare you half to death, so you'll come back the next time, right? This is really kind of crazy way it's put together, right? you got to make sure you get that. When you, pretty soon you're just thinking, I was, I was thinking the other night, I said, why do I, why do I need to go see Hannity so much tonight? What's the big deal, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when you go and listen, turn that thing on, you're just going to hear all the bad news, the worst news. Yeah, give me more of the bad news. I want to see how the world's falling apart. And I'm thinking, why do you want to see the world falling apart? Well, I, I don't know why. I just want to see if the world's falling apart. You know? And I'm thinking, oh, you want to watch it so you can pray? Because the No, I just want to see the world falling apart, I guess. You know, really. I mean, honestly, I get addicted to negative stuff. What is that in us? It's the opposite. It's an orphan spirit. I love this negative stuff, or somehow or another, if I know about the hell that's being released in the earth, that's going to make me feel better. Because now that I know, I'm going to be more prepared. Really? <laughs> because I know? No. You're more prepared because you're praying about it, interceding about it. How many of you just watch the news and start interceding? That's a good thing to do, maybe, but my. But here's what we do. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow into 
to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head in Christ. So as we release our gifts and speak to each other in truth, we're releasing Jesus all over the place. That orphan spirit disappears because Jesus shows up. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Let's all stand. Wow. <laughs> Maybe I'm about to get rid of my orphan spirit. I don't know. I hope you guys are losing yours. Very easy to pick up. And if uh, you don't have one already, the world will make you feel like you have one. You know, the whole ruling class that we have now, they just want you to make, feel, make you feel totally at a loss, totally absent, totally afraid, totally intimidated. That's orphan. We're the other way. We're not intimidated. Very frustrating to people. Very frustrating to governments. When the people don't bow, people aren't worried. People do normal things. You know, no matter what, they just keep moving. That's us. I just feel, uh, again, I, I was praying about this, and I feel such a release of healing anointing in the room. I feel today is a special day for physical healing. I, I really do. I, I just think, I thought that the moment I walked in the door, I wasn't feeling that when I particularly came today. So what I like to do is I like the ministry to come up, but I, I feel like uh, God wants to heal people today. He always does, but I feel a special unction that way. So as our ministry team comes up, there'll be people up here to pray, and I'm going to pray for people as well. If you have something physically wrong with your body, today would be a very good day to come up to the front and receive prayer. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for those that have been feeling low and a little bit uh, sad and disheartened as well. I pray, God, you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. I pray when we pray for people right up here in the front, I pray in the name of Jesus that healing power come. I pray you would deliver us from evil and situations that are knocking our block off a little bit. I pray you would cause this church, as we just worship here for a while and minister to one another, I pray for the fullness of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ as we release ministry and power to come. I, I rebuke every orphan spirit in every place where we felt zero and felt lost. Lord, instead I pray you would fill us with your presence and your love and encourage us today, no matter where we are, where we go to during this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.